Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said that former junior minister Damien English has paid a big political price following his resignation as Minister of State at the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment after revelations on the Ditch website about a planning application that he made in 2008. People in Midwest have elected Damien English as a TD uh, and should he stand again in the next election, they will make a decision as to whether uh, they believe uh, he should be their TD or not. Um, but being a member of government is different, being a minister is different and it does require um, a certain level of standards. U.S. Attorney General announces an independent lawyer will investigate President Joe Biden's handling of classified documents. This morning, President Biden's personal counsel called Mr. Lausch and stated that an additional document bearing classification markings was identified at the president's personal residence in Wilmington, Delaware. And later, a number of demonstrations took place this evening at various locations accommodating refugees and asylum seekers. As always, you can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. faced a further blow today with news of the resignation of former junior minister Damien English after it was revealed that he gave incorrect information to a local authority when making a planning application to build a house in a rural area. Deputy English informed Taoiseach Leo Varadkar of his decision last night to resign. Well, joining me here in studio now is Sinn Féin TD, Louise O'Reilly, Fine Gael TD, Neil Richmond, co-founder and editor of The Ditch, Owen McNeil, and political correspondent at the Sunday Times, Aoife Moore. Well, first tonight, let's take a look at the video that was posted by Damien English announcing his resignation this morning. Over 14 years ago, I made a planning application for my family home. In that application, some of the information I gave was not correct. This was wrong, it's not acceptable, and I'm very sorry for that. Wrong, not acceptable, and uh, very sorry for it. Well, let's talk to the person who broke this story. Owen McNeil, you're welcome along to the programme and welcome indeed to all my panel tonight. Um, you published the story uh, earlier this week, but these, these revelations, in fact, um, uh, yesterday. Take us through, uh, I suppose, if you may, what, what you found. Sure. So it was on the Monday to kind of kick off the week, we published a story about how Damien English hadn't declared his ownership of a property in a place called Castle Martin, which is in County Meath. He hadn't declared it in the Dollar Register for more than a decade. And English did eventually give us a statement where he said that he, he felt that he didn't need to actually go and register that interest um, because um, there is an exemption in ethics legislation if the house is occupied. Now, the house wasn't occupied by English or any of his family members. So he would have had to actually register that. 
Then on the Wednesday, um, we published a story about how English had been, had, had been living in that house for about four years when, in 2008, he made a planning application for a new house about six kilometres from that house. And now, according to Meath County Council's, um, it's a national rural, rural housing policy, you wouldn't get planning permission if you already own a house um, in that area. And in Damien English's application, he said that he didn't own a house, um, I would say, in order to actually get planning permission. And he was granted planning permission um, on the basis of the information that he gave. So, Owen, was that down to the ditch's own digging on this story, looking through, you know, planning applications and all of that? Or did you have sources coming forward? Um, it was mainly digging. Um, there were a couple of sources as well. Um, the first, the first story would have been all digging. Um, my colleague Roman went and visited the actual property as well to kind of make sure that it was in fact dormant. And then we had a couple of sources then for the follow-up story, and we requested the um, the original planning file from Meath County Council, and that's where the second story was based on. Were you surprised to hear? Um, him announcing his resignation. We saw a little bit of that, that video there, but it was also in a, a lengthy enough statement on, on Twitter. And um, were you surprised about that move and I suppose how, how fast it came about? Yeah, I mean, these things are always hard to predict. You know, um, myself and Roman always talk about just doing our own job and kind of focus on, just kind of focusing on the things that we can actually uh, Control. I mean, we had been thinking that we'd be publishing more and more into next week. Um, Did you have more to publish? Um, yeah, we would have, you know, some stories left in the clip. Um, we, um, I'd have to hold the hands up and say I'm not much of an early riser. I was up at half eight this morning and it was a funny one to wake up to. I was like, all right, okay, that was a little bit quicker than expected. Did you put uh, those, those other stories, those other revelations that you, you're suggesting, did you put those revelations to, to, to Damien English? No, not yet. OK, so potentially more to come with this story? Possibly, yeah. Look, um, we just kind of like to play what's in front of us, but um, there may be more to come, yeah. OK. Uh, Neil, when you hear that, was Damien English right to resign as minister? Yeah, he was. I think he did the right thing. I think I have to say Damien's a close friend of mine. You don't like to see a close friend going through this, regardless that it was fairly black and white. And I think it's actually a testament to Damien that he resigned so quickly. Um, what he did was wrong. He acknowledged that. And uh, as the Taoiseach said earlier, he's paid a very heavy personal and political price. Uh, the question was always asked, also has been asked, what about his position as TD? Now, talking to Owen there, where there may be more that comes to light here. Um, made that question come up, because it was put to the Taoiseach today, and he said, no, he's paid the ultimate political price by giving up his role as junior minister. Well, I'm not going to engage in hypotheticals or things that haven't been published. I'll wait to see them. But ultimately, I think there's no question that Damien should remain as it stands for a TD with uh, Meath West. And if he seeks re-election, it's the people of Meath West who will decide that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in fairness to the junior minister, he, he held his hands up. It, it happened quite quickly. Um, he said he was wrong about this. Uh, what do you take from that, Louise O'Reilly? That very swift resignation that we're often surprised about in politics, to be honest. Well, I think um, he did the sensible thing um, by not allowing this to drag out. Um, as we saw with the previous resignation, which wasn't actually that long ago, a bit of a hallmark of the government, uh, these resignations. So, you know, a couple of months ago, when uh, former junior minister Robert Troy resigned, 
that took a very long time and I think the government shipped a lot of damage over that. So I would imagine um, if Damien was, uh, was seeking counsel from more senior people in government, they may have advised him that that was the, the sensible thing to do. I understand it was his own um, decision. I think he did the right thing. Uh, I think he did the right thing in doing it quickly as well. But, you know, we do now need to look at how the, you know, the, the simple fact is this information was in the public domain. So, I, I, you know, fair play to the lads in on the ditch for uncovering it, but it, it was already there. But the requirement on the register of members' interests is that it is given to the minister, not that it's laid before the doll. So maybe we should be looking to have this laid in front of the doll so that we can have a debate on it, so that this is all out in the open. The failure to declare a property, and there is some discussion over exactly how the legislation works and what exactly applies in this instance. So I think we need to be absolutely crystal clear. And we also need to talk to SIPO and ask them, what powers is it that they feel that they need. So, for example, if this story was in the public domain, and it is now, and fair play to the lads, as I said, and on the ditch for, for breaking it, this story's in the public domain, but if someone doesn't make a complaint to SIPO, they can't investigate it. Now, they should Are be able to Are you making a complaint? Now, we know Paul Murphy uh, a has made a complaint. A complaint has been made and an investigation and will now Shane happen. And separately make a complaint? I mean, I you think know... a complaint has been made, uh, but what and, I'm saying and is... And is that, is that sufficient the... for this now to be launched? Sippo, it's sufficient that one complaint is made that they can do it, but actually, SIPO should have the, the authority to be able to pursue investigations themselves. They should have the authority and they should have the resources. And we should, as an Oireachtas, have the capacity to be able to debate the, um, uh, the register of members' interests every year when it's declared it should be laid in front of the House and we should have a proper okay. debate on it. Do, do you think, Eva, that's what this story ultimately does, is mm -hmm. shine a light on maybe a lack of transparency or an ability, an ability to cover up, an ability to not declare? That's what the allegations are, of course. Yeah, we're in the year 2023 and politicians are still unfollowing out these forms with paper and a pencil or a pen. You know, they the, on the Dutch did backbreaking work in journalism. They had to, I know the how it works, they'd had to trawl through loads of documents. This should be public information that the public and journalists should be able to access. If you run as a public representative, this is the sort of scrutiny that you should be open to. Transparency Ireland have been calling for this for a really long time, as well as SIPO with everything that's happened in the last couple of years with this government when it comes to SIPO and the different investigations. We know that they need more teeth. So I think this has now shown us that, of course, excellent journalism has been done, but this should be publicly available information that we shouldn't have to trawl through scanned pages of pens and paper, yeah. written with pen and paper to but look I this think up. it's important to say that we've, it is publicly available information. Yeah. It is just not available in a very accessible yeah. format. So that's why there was a huge amount of work had to be done. I mean, you'd have to ask yourself why others weren't doing that. That's fair enough. But that work is now done. It's not accessible. I agree with you. Yeah. It should be. But it's not all. It's not true to say that it's not in the public domain. It no. is in the public domain. It's just in a very, very outdated format, which doesn't lend itself well. I mean, we saw what happened when the Department of Health had to send documents over to Gabriel Scali. They scanned in those documents. They sent them over. Mm -hmm. Now, that wasn't to make it easy for him to do his job. That makes it very, very tough. We shouldn't, as politicians, mm -hmm. be standing over that. And I certainly, I don't stand over that. There's there should be transparency, it should be easily accessible information yeah. for everybody to see, for journalists and members of the public to see. That's really, really important. And this yeah. isn't a recent thing. Transparency Ireland have been calling for this for a long time. We are behind the curve when it comes to our European countries, when it comes to this sort of transparency. As I said, it is accessible, it is public information, but it is incredibly confusing and hard to find. And I feel like that is a, yeah. a, a, oh. on purpose. Yeah, um, was it hard to find? Was it hard to find that information? Because you managed to do it. You know, many would say that, you know, 
you found out this information, it's actually, you know, arguably, you know, that property, that story dates back 14 years. Yeah, well, I mean, like, with the first story, for example, um, obviously the doll register is, is yeah, like, very accessible. Um, I mean, like, there are small things in Ireland like, that we've found where, say, for, like, land registry searches, you know, it's like a five or a pop. And it's these little kind of things that are... Um, well, first of all, those kind of, those, those kind of charges do add up. And it's... I do feel that, you know, these kind of little hurdles and obstacles, I do feel yeah. that they are in, intentionally uh, yeah. there. And, Neil, look, I want to ask you on this. Um, by the very nature of the job, there are higher standards for those that make the rules. So those that make the rules when they break the rules, they should know all about it. But you, you should also be aware as a politician that those higher standards exist. Do you think it's understood fully within the political elite in this country? I certainly hope it is. So but... how did this happen, you know, with Damien English in that case? Well, I think it's as been... As Owen's gone through and as the Minister said himself, it, the situation related, there was two separate issues and they led ultimately to a situation where we do have accountability and we do have transparency in a Minister of do, do you believe we have result. full accountability in this country? That's a, that's a big question. I think, like, I'd actually take issue, Eva, when you look, I, I fully accept what you say in relation to Transparency International and Ireland's work on this, but if you look at other EU jurisdictions, we're not totally behind the curve. If we look at the European Parliament, it's the exact same approach to register for interests. We will see uh, when it comes to ethics legislation in the Dáil in the next couple of months. Minister Harris was talking about that today, earlier on radio. Mm. We will be having this debate again to update it. When it comes to things yeah, like just, our lobbying regulation, we are very much ahead yes, of the I curve. Just, of the Neil, European when you average. say that, like that, that you know that there is there is transparency, and you know people are aware of their obligations. We've seen the departure of four ministers in two years, two junior ministers in a matter of a few months. Well, for, in relation to housing controversies in relation well, to property issues? Two out of the four. The other two resigned for very okay, different reasons. OK, but two. Is that good enough? But this happens in modern government where you have transparency, where you have ministers who have done Hang on a second now. This resigned. happened in this case because the ditch had the story. And they had the story, and that is the accountability, and that is the transparency. Yeah, and but it didn't come that's, not, that's, not, that's not accountability, did, did, Neil. Come on, well, you can, well, accountability well, can't come. I'm not going to take lectures on no, no, accountability no, no, from no, no, you, just, Louise. Just and you look at your second. own representatives who never resigned. Okay. People failing Neil, to care things that they are to be. People go. I want to make one point. I want to make one point. Accountability is not when a journalist breaks a story. Accountability is when public representatives are open and transparent about okay, all of their dealings. You're public okay? representatives who have a litany in this doll of issues in terms of really horrendous social media posts in relation to conspiracy theories, in relation to attending illegal COVID gatherings and attending so much yeah, else. You're, you're, try, you're trying I'm to not. draw you're, an equivalence between two things that are not the same, no, Neil, and you know that you are. About and you know what you're doing. And I'm talking it's, about... Yeah, you, but know, you know what you're we're doing talking too. You about, don't want to get into it. We're you're talking about accountability you from I'm one of your ministers all, who has Louise had to resign. Louise made a clear political charge. Less I've than 24 hours ago. I've acknowledged the fault. I've accepted and agree with the action yeah, of the minister. You've said there's accountability the in government because, because of, you know, two junior ministers and this story came out. It came out because of the work of journalists. Yeah, I know, and I accept that and I acknowledge the work of the journalists and I acknowledge the decisions we made. Eva. My, the feeling I always take away with, from these things is anyone who works in politics, who works in political journalism, knows how hard it is to get people interested in politics because people in the street genuinely believe that it's one rule for them 
another rule for us, and they're all the same. And then as a journalist who really cares about making politics better, and politicians believe about making politics better, and trying to get people to vote, and trying to get people to be interested, these type of stories about rental properties not registered, about planning applications that haven't been filled out properly, this mix puts people off. They say they don't live in the same world as us. They don't care about the rules. We've seen it over and over and over again with politicians. And this is what really bothers me, is it's the ripple effect then when down to the man in the street, we think everyone in the doll is all the same, and they're not. But these sort of things really, really break down the trust between the people, especially in a housing crisis, between the people and the politicians. Do, uh, do, you, th do you agree with that, Owen, that it creates an us and them, a sense of that there's an elite who can get away with it? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I mean, on the one hand, you can command English for an early resignation. On the other hand, you can say that, oh, there was incorrect information in his application, and that was wrong. He didn't, you know, really acknowledge, you know, how that wrong information actually got in there. On top of that, you know, I think that's, um, I, I would call it a class divide, where if you take both Troy and, um, and Damien English, you know, with Robert Troy, mm -hmm. 11 properties, um, with Damien English, he has, you know, this property that he forgot to actually register. It's kind of, that kind of thing is incomprehensible to, I mean, like, what would, I mean, like, what would we say, like, most people under the age of 40, under the age of 35? It's kind of, it's, it's kind of incomprehensible. It is a different yeah. world, you know? The, um, I suppose they're, they're working politicians who are earning good money. So by the very nature, you know, that, that they have more income at, at, at their hands and they can they can do that 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 the sense of that is with people especially people as you're talking about in your 30s and, and under that age who are trying to maybe get a home get a house and this you know when you talk about the average td salary is what ninety thousand euro a year plus expenses and everything else it's a hundred, okay, 100. okay, yeah, a hundred and maybe more for others who take on extra jobs but and even, all of that. Even like that, so, saying that they make good money and they can and they can buy houses, that's absolutely fine. No one's saying they can't make a lot of money and buy houses. You have to abide by the rules. If you're yeah. renting them out, they have to be registered. If you're planning and doing planning application, it has to be truthful. Yeah, what I'm saying is that that's why it may be also politically very jarring for people when we are in a housing crisis to hear about this. Do you acknowledge that that this story and how it's come about and when it's come about is very politically damaging in that regard, Neil? Yeah, it's extremely damaging politically. Um, for and my party and the people involved in these things have damaged politics widely, not just for ourselves. Uh, and that's something that we have to take responsibility for and ultimately um, approach this in a very contrite manner that wrong was done, we accept it was done, and we cannot allow this sadly to tar uh, the impression falsely of all politicians who I would like to think are an extremely hard-working bunch, regardless of what party or none. How annoyed will the Taoiseach be about this? Um, I'd imagine he'd be very annoyed. Um, it's not something that anyone wants to happen. Um, and he obviously accepted the minister's resignation um, the minute he offered it. Mm. Uh, it's just interesting because in the week that so many promises were made with the new tenure, the new Taoiseach around housing, uh, that this, this story has also um, come about and it's put uh, the government in a very uh, reshuffling the reshuffle, essentially. Um, you know, from your point of view, Neil, do you want the job? Well, I, I got into politics to do things. I'll serve at any capacity the Taoiseach would like me to, but ultimately I'm very happy being a TD and that, that's what I'm elected to do. 
We do so have that's responsibility. Yes. We, no, but we do have a responsibility more broadly as a government to show that the policies that we're putting in place can actually deliver. For were you people. disappointed a few weeks ago? Yeah, of course I was. But you know, I was disappointed for twenty minutes. Okay, so then... you're still disappointed now, and no, and I was disappointed are... for twenty minutes, and then remembered that I have a huge honour, like Louise, to be elected to represent the people of my constituency where I was born and raised. But. Uh... You know, let's talk about who may fill the role. We're hearing that, you know, John Paul Phelan, Carla Kilkenny TD, um, Claire TD, Joe Carey also in the mix there. Um, could they potentially be looking outside Dublin this time, Neil? I think it's really unfair to ask me to speculate on friends and colleagues. Um, I think Aoife is the expert in that area, to, to be fair. What do you think, Aoife, you're, you're nodding mm -hmm. there. Um, mm -hmm. What's your take on it? I think it'll be a more rural TD. No offence, Dean Neil, but I don't think it'll be someone from Dublin. Um, we know from Fine Gael's private polling that they are not as popular with farmers in rural communities as they would want to be. And I think they'll be looking for someone outside of Dublin. I would love it to be a woman from a rural constituency. I have not heard any women's names mentioned, which tends to happen quite often when these things come up. But I don't think it'll be anyone from Dublin. I know there's been some chat about Alan Farrell and there's been some chat about Neil and, and Joe Carey, but I, I think we might be talking about further out. But again, it's Leo Rager, it's up to him and his liability. Do what he wants. Okay, we have the results of our online poll. Um, we were asking, um, was Damien English right to resign? And we have the results of that poll, which is 80% of people said, yes, he was right to resign. And yes, so we have 20%, no, one in five saying no. No, he wasn't right to resign. Uh, would you take anything from that, Louise? I don't. Um, I don't know what their motivation is. I think everybody on this panel uh, and everybody watching has acknowledged that uh, the former junior minister did the right thing by resigning. And I know now we'll enter into the, the part where, and not for Neil, because I know it, it, like, he's involved in this, but for others, people get very excited. This is something that really annoys me about, about politics. People get very excited about who's going to be the next one in the top job instead of looking at what we actually need, which is a change of direction, not a change in personalities. We need a new government. We need a change in direction. We need a change in policy. I don't think that replacing one person with, who has the same ideology as the next person that's coming up is actually going to make any uh, real and meaningful difference. And I think when you talk to people, that is what they want. They want to see a change in direction. They want to see some hope of a resolution and an end to the housing crisis that has developed over the 12 years of Fine Gael in government. They don't want to see just a change in a round of personalities, you know, another person who's pretty similar to the last person coming in to, to um, you know, promote the same policies, take the same actions which haven't worked for 12 years and have brought us to this crisis situation. There's 11,500 people living in emergency accommodation. 3,800 of those are children. So any of them are watching here this evening, they want to see from mm. the government what it is they're going to do differently and all they will see over the next while, and it's no disrespect to the people involved, because I understand it's your career and it's very important, but you know yeah. they're going to see over the next while people scrabbling over a job, which I don't think is what we need. We need a change of government. We need a yes. change of direction. Okay. You've made that point very clearly there, Louise. Neil, I suppose from you know the coalition's point of view now, um, it's, it's a rocky start to the year, isn't it? Um, what, you know, how, how do you turn this around from here? I suppose how does you know Fine Gael leading this government now show that it can do things differently, that there is a change in leadership when we have the resignation of one junior minister that follows so closely after the resignation of another? Yeah, for sure. We have to take this on the chin and acknowledge this has not been a good day for the coalition or indeed the Fine Gael party. However, we have to go out, the doll resumes next week, and show that 
the economic management of this country has been so good that we can now put that economic gain to work for the people in terms of building homes, in terms of improving our healthcare system and following up the huge reductions in the cost of childcare announced this month, putting more money people back in people's pockets. We can do that and we have been doing that consistently, but of course we need to do more and everyone has to acknowledge that. Um, Owen, just to talk to you about you know, the standards in public office and, and what is available and how accessible it is. Do you believe, you know, by publishing these stories, that we are likely to see you know, that push for more transparency and, and, and more accountability, essentially? I think so. I mean, like, I guess um, working as a journalist... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I guess that's all you can really hope for. Um, us personally, yeah, I mean, it, it, can be, um, it can be a little bit like trying to... It can be a little bit like trying to knock down a mountain by singing at times, like, you know, but we certainly, yeah, we'll just try to, to kind of take it like story by story. And, you know, with the story, yeah, like hopefully bring some level of transparency um, to what we report about, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when there, when there is talk about, I suppose, different, different rules here to what exists elsewhere, do you believe Ireland is an outlier when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, as I say, accountability and politicians and, and really a transparency there at the very heart of government and politics? Um, to be honest, I'd say if we're an outlier in, in any way, I think we're an outlier in um, repercussions, I think, sometimes for kind of for kind of breaches of our legislation where, you know, there's always a kind of a, you know, even some of the explanations for what Damien English did, there was, you know, some level of equivocation, I found, you know, where um, people talked about how long ago it was and people talked about, you know, how nice a guy is and how hardworking he is, like, you know, whereas that kind of thing I don't think really washes elsewhere, you know. I think that when people are caught in, you know, very straightforward, cut-and-dry um, instances of not declaring things, there's not that kind of... Mm-hmm. E- equivocation, I find. Yeah. Um, I just want to talk uh, briefly about what's happening in the North. Um, Aoife, uh, the Northern Ireland Secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris, saying there's still a way to go in terms of a deal between the EU and the UK government. Mm-hmm. But there is signs that there may be a bit of progress. Is, is that how it's being seen? 
Um, like most other people from the north, when Chris Heaton Harris says something, I would usually go and check to make sure that's actually right. But what I would say is that we are definitely seeing different mood music now than we have seen before. We are hearing good signs from London. We are hearing good signs from Brussels. You know, we have these agreements now about data and everything else. But the thing I always come back to, and I harp on about this all the time, the people who suffer the most out of this stalemate between Brussels and London, and I'm not in any way blaming Brussels because we know where the stalemate is, is the people in the north. Um, you know, we, I know we're all living through a cost of living crisis, but the, I cannot tell you how bad the healthcare crisis is in the north at the minute. We have people taking out crisis loans and credit unions for very standard procedure surgeries. So I am very heartened by the, what, yesterday's debacle is now over and today's instalment, we had the Taoiseach and the Tanisha, I think both of them coming up to the north on the same day did show a real commitment yeah. that we have not seen from previous governments to the north. And hopefully now, and I know there's a lot of placating that has to go on with the DUP, and I don't think Chris Heaton-Harris is cut out for the job, but I am very heartened in what we've seen so far. Um, Neil, on that, and Aoife just mentioned yesterday's tobacco where Mary Lou Macdonald was excluded um, from that meeting, and I think Sinn Féin pulled out of the meeting altogether on that. Does that really spell progress, or does that show at the heart of matters that there are still those, you know, key, really difficult tensions that if you can't even get all everyone around a, a table mm. to talk, that you're not getting very far in reality? Yeah, like, it was really disappointing yesterday because I think the most important thing that we need is we need as many voices from Northern Ireland in the room discussing this from nationalist unionist communities and indeed the larger other. We also need the business community and the farming community and the people on the ground through their representative bodies because we need to get by-in. I fundamentally So was believe, that a British power play, do you think, there? What was happening? I'm going to hope that it was an error, but I think it was, it was something worrying. But I think it's something... If we look at... And is right, the mood music between Brussels and London is certainly improving, and there's been tangible moves there. But ultimately, what this will hang on is the ability to implement this in a way that the majority of people in Northern Ireland cannot just buy in, but actually have some of the serious pressures that are under-alleviated. And I think it can be if the protocol is operated well. And Louise, just very briefly, just despite you know Mary Lou Macdonald calling that whole episode bizarre, um, do you think there is hope in Sinn Féin that progress can be made at this point? Oh, there is absolutely. Um, you know, we put the mess that went on uh, yesterday uh, to one side, put that behind us. Uh, it was, you know, if you call a meeting of party leaders, then you expect that the the party leader who leads the biggest party in the state is going to be there. Hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, the British government have learned, uh, you know, that there's no sense in excluding people. This should be inclusive. We need everyone around the table. Okay. My panel is staying with me coming up after the break. The latest on the investigation into US President Joe Biden. Stay with us. Welcome back. US President Joe Biden has said a small number of classified documents had been found at his private residence, prompting calls for a congressional investigation into the alleged mishandling of official papers. Where have you heard that one before? Correspondent Simon Marks joins us now from Washington, D.C. with the very latest. Um, Simon Marks, it does uh, remind us certainly of a, a certain Mr. Trump. Um, now, Joe Biden is embroiled in this controversy. Tell us what we know. 
Look, it's certainly not a good look for the White House at the beginning uh, of the year, especially given the manner in which Joe Biden excoriated former President Donald Trump for what he described late last year as the completely irresponsible way uh, in which Donald Trump had taken more than 300 classified documents to Mar-a-Lago in Florida instead of giving them to the National Archives. Now, there's a big distinction between the two cases because Donald Trump relentlessly refused to hand those documents over to the National Archives, leading to the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago that recovered them. The Biden team says that on November the 2nd, just one week before America's midterm elections, they found 10 classified documents in an office that Joe Biden used to use in Washington, D.C., immediately handed them over to the Department of Justice, uh, which then conveyed them to the National Archives. Now they say they've found more documents in Joe Biden's Delaware residence, including some that were stored in his garage. That has prompted the appointment of a special prosecutor today by the Attorney General to lead this probe in exactly the same way as the Attorney General last year appointed a special prosecutor to lead the probe into Donald Trump's handling of classified documents because both cases, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General concluded, are just too hot uh, political potatoes for him to be handling personally and overseeing. Right, so this all sounds quite familiar, doesn't it, Simon? Uh, tell us how potentially damaging it's believed this could be and, and I guess where it all goes from here. Well, uh, the special prosecutor's investigation could take months. Uh, certainly, there's plenty uh, of reason to believe uh, that he's going to want to interview witnesses, possibly subpoena uh, people, legally compel them to uh, testify before him, and he'll have to decide whether he thinks there are criminal charges uh, that anyone in Joe Biden's inner circle might face, uh, in the same way as uh, the Department of Justice ultimately will have to decide whether former President Donald Trump should face criminal charges charges over his mishandling of government documents. For Joe Biden, though, because he's president, there is a legal precedent that says the Department of Justice won't bring uh, criminal charges against a sitting president. But that may not help people in his inner circle who may have had access uh, to these classified documents. The other question in all of this, Claire, is the National Archives doesn't seem to have realized that anything was missing uh, from the documentation that Joe Biden now uh, concedes that he had, which raises the question of just how many other documents might be out there that the National Archives simply doesn't know about. The Republicans cannot believe their luck. Twelve days into the year, they are now saying they're going to launch a congressional probe into all of this in parallel to the investigation that the special prosecutor is now leading. They must be delighted with that. Simon Marks, thank you so much for joining us from Washington tonight with the latest from there. Well, the panel has stayed on with me. News Talk, Shane Beatty has also joined us here in studio um, and to look at other news of the day today. Um, we want to talk about the several protests that took place in Dublin and in other locations outside asylum seeker accommodation. Um, Shane, on this, we know that a special policing plan has now been drawn up around these protests, which seem to be uh, gathering some pace. At least we are. We have actually had protests now 
for, you know, we had them before Christmas, mm -hmm. uh, but, they, but they, they have continued, and nine of them taking place in locations around the country tonight. Yeah, I think a lot of people welcoming the fact that now Gardaí were actually attending, uh, because beforehand the perception was that you could sort of protest away and that there wouldn't be any implications. And, you know, we have to find a balance here, because there are genuinely held concerns. I come from just beside Kill and County Kildare, where there were protests held, and at the time local residents were saying it was the lack of public consultation. We weren't told, it kind of felt like overnight that they were just going to accommodate refugees. So you do have to find the balance, but of course we have to watch the hijacking of these with people with ulterior motives. Mm. Uh, none of us would like to have people outside our houses protesting and saying, get out, and none of us are coming, fleeing a war zone. I mean, it's horrific to think that you have children and adults coming from a war zone, they come to Ireland, which they think is a safe haven, and then they have people literally outside their window shouting for them to get out or to go home or whatever things are being shouted at them. The one thing is, though, this can't... Like, we're going to have to get a handle on all of these protests because this is not a temporary thing. I mean, even if the war were to end tomorrow, which we all hope and pray that it would, for a lot of those people, they don't have a home to go back to, so they are here for the foreseeable future. And also talking about not a temporary thing, we know that the number of refugees that have come into this country as a result of the war in Ukraine has meant we've heard from government that they haven't had time um, to consult with communities, that in effort, if you have people arriving in and then being, you know, going through, you know, a, a processing and, and trying to find emergency shelter for them, you don't get to sit down and have that discussion at community level. I think what I actually would agree, and I think we have to cut the government some slack, and they are doing a lot of this on the hoof, but they have been doing this now for a year. And I would say maybe there is a chance that this government has been a bit complacent because unlike other European countries, we have kind of fought back this really divisive anti-immigrant rhetoric. It's always been on the fringes. It's always been on the sidelines. And what I noticed is when we saw the things like with the firebombing in Maville, Uchterard, Ruski, there was this nearly pretense. Um, the community had general, genuine concerns and there was a pretense from these far-right actors that it was about, you know, the rights of asylum seekers and how they were treated in direct provision. They're not even pretending about that anymore. Mm -hmm. This is... I'm on a number of... in a number of messaging groups with these far-right actors who are stoking up this. They're not even pretending. This is out-and-out racism. It's lies about sexual assaults that have never occurred. It's racist behaviour, anti-trans behaviour, anti-vaccine, anti-COVID. It's all this now amalgamated. I spoke to a specialist this week about far-right actors and how it used to be, you know, certain beliefs, certain conspiracies, and they stayed in their own group. Because of lockdown and the pandemics, we're seeing that now this is all kind of amalgamated together. I think what we're going to have to get a handle on now is this is not going to go away. There are concerns, mm -hmm. and I would say as well, what it really bothers me is that the concerns are held by communities like Ballymun and Tala, and communities that have been left behind by successive governments who are then not being consulted by those same governments when a yeah. huge amount of people are being put into their areas. And, like, and we do hear this about legitimate concerns, and it is because maybe services are stretched right across the country, Neil, and then people in communities, and especially those, as you say, in more vulnerable communities, feel like they're not being, they're not being listened to. Do you acknowledge that that's a problem in government and that you haven't got a handle on that? Yes, to an extent, but I think we also have to put things clarity that there are people who are spreading mis- and disinformation about this. You know, the anecdotal evidence that there are occasions, of course, where the GB practice is full up, but then people are saying, oh, it's because of asylum seekers, or they're jumping the queue, or they're getting X, Y, or Z and free. Absolutely 
made up nonsense by these coordinated fringe elements who are trying to violate so how the divisiveness. Do you, but how do, you, how do you tackle it? How does government tackle it now? Because whatever has been done or not mm. done to date doesn't appear to be working and doesn't appear to be quelling a frustration maybe among some with you know concerns at local level and then the, the other movement that's coming in on these protests and on this frustration. I think if we do put it in the wider context, Claire, of the sheer volume of people that have come to this country in an extremely short period of time in an emergency situation in an unprecedented event hasn't happened since the Second World War. And if you look at the reaction, um, I think in terms of many people that have been accommodated and the work that has gone on, largely to the credit of the Irish people and the Irish Red Cross, it has to be acknowledged that a lot has been got right. But now when we go into this, how you talk about one legitimate protest. If you want to protest, protest outside the Dáil, outside a government department. Don't protest or say you're protesting where people are living, as Shane said. A lot of women and children um, fleeing war zone. So we have to make sure that in this new policing plan, that for a start, those protests are moved where they are protests into more appropriate areas. And yes, there is that public engagement. But when we talk about... Is there the public engagement? Or we... is there a plan now with this newly sort of beat beefed up Department of Integration or, you know, an extra um, minister in there to, to work with Roger O'Gorman. Uh, is that plan there? Yeah, I believe there is one to strengthen up. And I actually spoke to the minister yesterday about uh, events in my, in my own area. And if you actually look at, I suppose, <coughs> Louise and I would talk about public consultations in the planning process in the 8 to 12-week Part 8. That probably won't be applicable for an emergency situation where you're trying to accommodate okay, 200 so, fleeing refugees. So what, it would be something different. Yeah, so what, what would it be then, Louise? You know, what, what, well, what, I mean, what is it, do you believe, that the government So if you're going to into an area that has been starved of resources in the middle of a housing crisis where you have people uh, who really, really are struggling, we're in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis as well as a housing crisis, right? you have people who are really, really struggling... And if you go into those areas and you talk to the people there, they will tell you they feel like they have been sidelined and they feel like they have been ignored, OK? So what I would say to people very clearly is, yes, you are absolutely right to be angry about the housing crisis. Yes, you are absolutely right to sure. be angry about this government and you should take your protest to the doll or to government departments, take it to the people who are responsible. But are you saying the that children who are in those centres level. are not responsible I guess, for I guess this. what I'm talking about this, and we hear it time and time again, there was no consultation with us. Yes. Which so is what, different to but we what have our grievances see, and yeah. take them to the gates of Leinster House. No, no, House. I, I understand that. And what people want to see is a plan. So it's, you know, consultation is all very well, but they want the government to come with a plan. So if you are in an area where you cannot see a GP, well, then we want to see how additional resources are going to be put in and talk directly to communities and acknowledge that some of these communities have been deprived for decades mm. and say to them, listen, you know, we have, we understand resources are going to be stretched and we're going to put additional resources in. That's not happening and that is making mm. people understandably, they feel very ignored. They feel like they have been sidelined. Sure. But I think the good news this evening, Claire, is that those the, the protests that were organised were tiny. They were fringe. They were by no manner or means huge. And, you but know, the, they had been billed the voice, as being huge. The, the, voice, the, voice, the voices certainly, even if they are a minority, are very loud, um, aren't they, Owen? Like, in this, in this whole discussion, um, the voices of those protesting are very loud. Um, and I, I suppose I want to know... You know, when they, you know, when people talk about legitimate concerns, do you think that should even be brought into the conversation when we're talking about an asylum seeker system that's completely broken in this country and refugees that are fleeing a war zone and, you know, need to be housed at a pace? Yeah, I mean, like, I've got to say, personally, I don't like the phrase 
legitimate concerns. For me, it's quite euphemistic. Um, it's almost like, is, is your racism a little bit more legitimate than these more blatant racists? I don't really have any time for that phrase at all. Mm. I also think, yeah, you're talking about um, an asylum system that is completely broken. We have a government that treats these people as subhuman, and it stands to reason mm. that then other people with abhorrent and incoherent politics will just do likewise at these protests. Okay, there we'll have to leave it. My thanks to Louise and to Neil. Lots more coming up after this break, including the Golden Globes hat trick for the Banshees of Inishirin. Cheese of Inishirin was the big winner at the Golden Globes in Beverly Hills on Tuesday night, winning Best Picture in the Musical or Comedy category, Best Actor for Colin Farrell and Best Screenplay for Writer-Director Martin McDonough. Owen, Aoife and Shane are still here with me. Let's take a quick look at a, a little snippet from the award-winning movie. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. You liked me yesterday. You liked me yesterday. Well, that kind of sums it up, really, <laughs> except for, you know, it goes on into a lot more detail. There's a bit of a gory twist. There's a lot, a lot goes on with it. Others would say not very much goes on with it, but it has resonated hugely with an audience, hasn't yeah. it? There's a real buzz around it this year, I'd have to say, and a real buzz around Colin Farrell, too. I mean, the speech was amazing at the Golden Globes. People, I was really proud to be Irish watching it. Uh, I actually made a joke it was, about it was, it was really yeah. beautifully heartfelt, was, wasn't it? I made a joke well done to Britain's Colin Farrell, because usually Britain... <laughs> Britain takes uh, credit when the Irish are doing well. But the amount of people who are replying to me saying he's Irish, like people are really, really proud of the fact God, that don't he's get a Irish. joke on Twitter yeah. these days, Shane. And I will say, even just looking at that clip there now, I mean, Ackle just looks incredible. I was in Ackle for four days over New Year's, and it is, it's stunning, but they are so proud in Ackle with the mm. success of this. It's done a huge amount for their tourism, and I know they're really, really excited for the summer because now people from around the world yeah. are going to want to see. Mm -hmm. the, the landscape was, I heard someone describe it as like the third main character in the film. You know, it plays such a huge role, yes. that sort of remoteness of it too. Yeah. Keen Bay is just incredible. So there's a lot of excitement in Ackle uh, and around the country. And just fingers crossed, kind of with a long haul to go until the Oscars. We're going to get sick of all these awards. Hopefully a lot more award wins, mm -hmm. but by the time the Oscars come around. Yeah, uh, and there will be a lot of build-up now and expectation around the Oscars. Own your big Colin Farrell fan, so you couldn't have been <laughs> disappointed with his win. Oh, yeah, like, since way back, you know, and, I mean, particularly the speech, you know, th there's, there's a lot of chat going on, I think, about, you know... Um, you know, like positive male role models and what a positive masculinity looks like. And I was kind of looking at the speech going, you know, Colin Farrell telling Brendan Gleeson how much he loves him. It was just like, it was just like so dude's rock. Like, you know, it was just, you couldn't get a more positive kind of vision of masculinity. And yeah, like as Shane said, I did feel a kind of a pride in it as well, you know, and yeah, I'm just a bit of a Colin Stan. Yeah. <laughs> and as much a win, like as Shane was saying, for tourism, really, as, um, as it is for the, the movie maker, for, for Patrick McDonough and for all the cast and crew there. Yeah, and I think there has been such a buzz about Irish film for the last couple of, like, even the last year or so. We're seeing, you know, more and more films being um, filmed here, being recorded here, more and more young talent. We're seeing a lot more short films, which I find really interesting. We know that Ancadian Cuyen, you know, Irish language, our first Irish language film, um, to be long-listed or short-listed for the Oscars as well. I think there's a real buzz about Irish film, and it's nice to see Colin Farrell in an Irish film. 
you know, yeah. it's a, he's done these huge big blockbusters before. And having watched it, and I'd like to correct myself, of course, it's Martin McDonough. I didn't find it was this uh, twid twiddly D or, you know, what I suppose you may initially take from the trailer. Um, Aoife, you have yet this. to actually... I Enjoy it. I haven't seen it. The only thing that worried me is that an American person tweeted that she didn't realise it was set in the past and she thought that this was Ireland, what Ireland was actually like in modern day and said that she didn't know it was during Civil War times until she saw a calendar. In Are, you remote? Are you remotely surprised by that? Yeah, I'm, not really, I'm, nice. not re I'm not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting though, a lot of people uh, are 50-50 on the film, because there's so much Oscar buzz and awards mm. talk. I've heard a few people in, in work and among friends who say they didn't particularly love it. And now the fear is for someone like Eve, for myself, if you haven't seen it, yeah. you're going to go in and go, do I have to really, really like yeah, this because everyone else likes it or yeah. will I really enjoy it? So it's just interesting, but maybe that's a sign of a good film if it does divide people as much as yeah. it seems to, perhaps. I think so, and makes people think a bit, at least, about it. Um, to briefly to talk about the Eurovision, um, I, I like I, this, this story is just mad. Uh, Johnny Rotten, <laughs> he actually criticised the competition. Uh, now he wants to represent Ireland in it. Yeah. So he says, that, he says the Eurovision's absolutely awful. He said he thinks it's disgusting. He's a performer. What he's saying, he's kind of put a spin on it to say that he wants to break the mould. So because the Eurovision's so bad, he's going to enter, hopefully represent Ireland, uh, to break the mould. I have to say, the funniest thing I thought was Dustin the Turkey described it as bonkers. And we obviously have a short memory because we know about they're sending Dustin to the Eurovision and yet people are up in arms about Johnny Rotten going for Ireland. I mean, at least Austin is an authentic. Didn't Johnny Rotten sell butter for a while in an ad campaign? Like, I, this is clearly some kind of ploy to put himself back in the papers. I don't think anyone should take it seriously. I think we should really consider bringing back Dustin. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a great uh, band Wild Youth who are in there and think they yeah. put a single forward. So, you know, yeah. maybe bring a bit of cred back to um, Ireland. No, I'm not yeah. saying anything about previous years. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I would you to are you right? But you never know. They're and getting then... very little publicity because it's all about Johnny Rotten. That's what he wants. Very, yes. This is the whole yeah. point. That's what oh, we'll hear more about it. We'll hear more about it. Look, that is it from us and um, from all the late team here, all our panellists. Good night. Take care.